So it was that on the seventh day the battle was joined and the children of Israel killed, notice, they killed 100,000 foot soldiers of the Syrians in one day, but the rest fled to Aphek into the city. And then notice this, as if they thought they were finding some kind of barrier and some kind of uh, 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 solace and covering, they go and what does God cause to happen? A wall falls on 27,000 of the men and kills them. Welcome, everyone, and thank you for joining us. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with senior pastor and teacher Rob Kellogg. Israel killed 100,000 foot soldiers of the Syrians in one day. This was clearly a miracle. Yet it was a miracle working through the existing Israeli army, not by another outside agency. God wanted to show that as unlikely as it seemed, he could work through this outwardly weak and ineffective instrument. After the great victory on the battlefield, God moved in other extraordinary ways to defeat the Syrians who had defamed his character through their flawed understanding of him. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he concludes chapter 20 in the book of 1 Kings. We're getting drunk at the command post. And the young leaders of the provinces went out first, and Ben-Hadad sent out a patrol, and they said to him, The men are coming out of Samaria. And so he said, If they come out for peace, take them alive, and if they come out for war, take them alive. In other words, this is just a little ragtag group of guys, nothing to worry about. You guys can take them. And then these young leaders of the provinces went out of the city with the army which followed them. And each one killed his man. And so the Syrians fled, and Israel pursued them. And Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, escaped on a horse with the cavalry. And then the king of Israel went out and attacked the horses and the chariots and killed the Syrians with a great slaughter. And they would attack the horses and the chariots for good reason. You don't want your enemy having a chariot. So you, when you come across it, you're going to break the wheels, you're going to break it to pieces, but also even the horses, you're going to hamstring them, you're going to cut their, their tendon on the back of their legs so they, they can't go in battle anymore. So that's what he would do. And the prophet, verse 22, came to the king of Israel and said to him, go, strengthen yourself and take note and see what you should do for in the spring of the year, remember the spring of the year, remember David when he should have gone out when kings go to battle, but he lingered behind and got in trouble with Bathsheba? It was the spring of the year when kings go to battle. So they said, take note, go strengthen yourself, the prophet says to Ahab. Take note and see what you should do. For in the spring of the year, the king of Assyria will come up against you again. So they have this great victory. And is it because of Ahab, because he was such a great guy? Because he helped the elderly woman across the street and brought in her groceries in her her electric car? No. Had nothing to do with that. Had to do with God's grace for his people. And you know, he's, he's that way with us, isn't he? He's a very gracious God. 
I think of all the mistakes that I have made and will continue to make. Not on purpose, of course, but we, we're, we're human and we make mistakes. And, and to think of the grace of God in all things. He's such a gracious and wonderful Savior. Why, why do we reserve anything from him? Why not give him all of our hearts? If he is that good, and he is, then Lord, I want to give you everything. I want to give you my whole heart, unreserved, unreservedly, I want to give it to you. All my thoughts, dreams, aspirations, everything, I just give it to you. So, verse 23, the servants of the king of Syria said to him, Their gods are gods of the hills. Therefore, they were stronger than us. But if we fight against them in the plain, surely we will be stronger than them. They thought, because they were in the hill country, that God had victory over them. Because, see, these polytheistic Syrians thought that Almighty God was just one, was equal to one of their little local deities. They thought he was equal with their local deities. But they failed to realize that God is the God of all gods. He's the God of all creation. He's Yahweh, the creator of heavens and the earth, everything that is. They failed to understand. But they were stronger than we because they, their gods are gods in the hills, the Syrians said. But if we fight against them in the plain, surely we're going to be stronger than them. Surely we're going to be better than them. We got the horses, we got the chariots on the flat ground, they're, they're toast. They're not going to have any hope against us. And so do this thing, they tell the king of uh, King Hadad. Dismiss the kings, each from his position, and put captains in their places. Verse 25, it says, And you shall muster an army like the army that you have lost, horse for horse and chariot for chariot, and then we will fight against them in the plain. Surely we will be stronger than they. And he listened to their voice and did so. And so it was in the spring of the year. That Ben-Hadad mustered the Syrians and went up to Aphek to fight against Israel. Now this Aphek is not the Aphek up in the north, um, <clears throat> excuse me, northwest of Israel where um, the Philistines and Samuel, it's not that Aphek. There were many towns that were called Aphek. And um, this one was probably on the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee. And so... Um, so they go to Aphek to fight against Israel. In verse 27, And the children of Israel were mustered and given provisions, and they went out against them. And now the children of Israel encamped before them like two little flocks of goats. How cute and insignificant. <clears throat> Excuse me. Two little flocks out in the field all alone. And the Syrian army is all around. <laughs> Just picture that in your head. It's like certain death. And if I was the guys on the field in those two different camps, I'd be like, I really believe in you, God. <laughs> if you don't do something now, we're toast. And Lord, we're at your whim. And Lord, you got to do something. Help, help. Sometimes that's the best prayer. It's one word. I, I, use the, I say this prayer an awful lot every single day. I say help. Actually, two words. Help, Lord. That's two of my favorite terms in my whole vocabulary. Help, Lord. And so the children of Israel were mustered, given provisions, and, and, and they camped like two little flocks of goats while the Syrians filled the countryside. They are clearly outnumbered. They're outgunned. It's a, seemingly, it's a seeming slaughter. There's no hope for them. And the king of Syria is going, I got them right where I want them. 
And then verse 28, a man of, a man of God. We don't even know. We don't even know his name. A man of God came and he spoke to the king of Israel and he said, Thus says the Lord, because the Syrians have said, the Lord is God, in other words, the Lord, Jehovah, because they've said that Yahweh is God of the hills, but he is not a God of the valleys, therefore I will deliver all this great multitude into your hand and you shall know that I am Jehovah. You shall know that I'm Yahweh. And you know what? I think the people of God need to know that more than ever, that he is God. He is Yahweh. He is the covenant-keeping God. He is the creator. We need to remember that as well. When we come up against difficulties and strongholds and sin issues that we're fighting and struggling against and difficulties, we need to remember that he is the Lord, all caps. Never forget that. He is God. And with him... There's victory. Without him, no victory. But with him, certain victory. Notice again God helping his people, sending the man of God saying, they say this, they say that I'm just a God of the hills but not of the God of the valleys. Well, I got something to show them. I got something better than West Point. I've got better battle plans than any other commander has ever seen. And I'm going to do something now that everyone is going to remember. And they encamped, verse 29, opposite each other for seven days. And so it was that on the seventh day the battle was joined and the children of Israel killed, notice, they killed 100,000 foot soldiers of the Syrians in one day, but the rest fled to Aphek into the city. And then, notice this, as if they thought they were finding some kind of barrier and some kind of uh, 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 solace and in, 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 in covering, they go, and what does God cause? to happen. A wall <laughs> falls on 27,000 of the men and kills them. You know, I almost imagine this big army and there's this really large wall that's a, a fortified city. <clears throat> and they're all there, a big army, and they're getting up close to it. And as they are rumbling and grumbling and the, the, the earth is shaking with the men there and, and God just says, I'm just going to take the foundation up from underneath this is going to be Jericho 2.0. And it falls right over and kills 27,000 men. But the rest uh, fled to Aphek into the city and then a wall fell on them, like I said. And then Ben-Hadad, he wasn't there, but he fled and he went into the city, into an inner chamber. And so now he's at Aphek and he's in an inner chamber. And then it says, verse 31, Then his servants said to him, Look now, we have heard that the kings of the house of Israel are merciful kings. I mean, after all, look in their, in their history. Look what Saul did to, uh, to Amalek. Saul wanted to let him go and to spare his life. And it took the prophet, or it took Samuel to kill Amalek, or to Agag, I'm sorry, to kill Agag. 
They said to him, We've heard that the kings of the house of Israel are merciful. Please put on sackcloth around your waist and ropes around our heads and go out to the king of Israel. Perhaps he will spare your life. And so they wore sackcloth around their waist and put ropes around their heads, basically uh, being servants and putting themselves in this uh, position and, and came to the king of Israel and said, Your servant, notice the terms change. It's no longer, I'm going to do this to you. Now it's, uh, Your servant Ben-Hadad says... Please let me live. And you know, we would probably do the same thing. When it really comes down to this, you've got, you, you, you can no longer stick out your chest and, and make yourself something. Now you're like, I really love you, man. You were always my favorite. I voted for you. I spent a lot of money on your campaign. Yeah, it was me. Remember that check for a million? That was me. He says, please let me live. And Ahab said, is he still alive? He is my brother. And now the men who are watching closely to see whether there is any sign of mercy that would come from Ahab, and they quickly grasped at his word and said, yeah, your brother Ben-Hadad. And so he said, go bring him. And then Ben-Hadad came out to him, probably very delicately, as the King James said, coming quietly and you know, kind of timidly. Anger is past, right? There's no longer any need for war. We're done with that, right? So Ben-Hadad comes out, and this is Ben-Hadad too, said to, said to him, The cities of my father, Ben-Hadad number one, took from your father, and I will restore, and, I will, and you may set up marketplaces for yourself in Damascus. Because Damascus, Damascus was the oldest city that in the world, actually. And so he's basically telling him that you can come now, uh, Ahab, you can come to our bazaars and all of the open markets and you guys can set up whatever you want. You know, you can put the shofars and all that stuff and you can do whatever you want and I'll restore the cities back to you as my father did. Uh, those that he took, I'll give them back. And Ahab said, I will send you away with this treaty. And so he made a treaty with him and sent him away. And then it says, verse 35, Now a certain man of the sons of the prophets said to his neighbors by the word of the Lord, notice this was something that God was calling the prophet to do. He goes to his neighbor and he says, Strike me, please. And the man refused to strike him. (laughs) And then he said to him, Because you have not obeyed the voice of the Lord, surely as soon as you depart from me, a lion shall kill you. And as soon as he left, a lion found him and killed him. So God had a purpose behind this act that the prophet was going to do. It was a big deal. And he really wanted to be slugged. He wanted to be hit really hard, drawing blood. So he found another man and said, Strike me, please. And the man says, Okay. And he hit him inflicting a wound, and then the prophet departed and waited for the king, Ahab, by the robe, and he disguised himself with a bandage over his eyes. The guy must have really gave him a good shiner. Now as the king passed by, he cried out to the king, and he said, Your servant went out into the midst of the battle, and there a man came over and brought a man to me and said, Guard this man. If by any means he is missing, your life shall be for his life, or else you will pay a talent of silver. But while your servant was busy here and there, he was gone. And so Ahab said to uh, the king of Israel, said to him, So shall your judgment be. You yourself have decided it. And he hastened to take off the bandage from his eyes. And the king of Israel recognized him as one of the prophets. 
This is not the first time this has happened. This kind of thing where a prophet would disguise himself and, and then finally reveal himself. And he does a similar thing here to Ahab. And he said to him, this prophet says to Ahab, Thus says the Lord, Because you have let slip out of your hand a man whom I appointed to utter destruction, therefore your life shall go for his life and your people for his people. You let the man get away when I had accounted him and appointed him for destruction. Yes, God wanted him to die. Why? Is he just a mean, old, nasty God? No. He had it coming. He was worthy of death, according to the Lord, and God wanted to execute him and have him executed, but he let him slip out of the net. And there's consequences, isn't there? God knows when the right time to drop the hammer is, and he, he is the perfect judge. He knows exactly. We don't have that capability. So we should always err on the side of mercy, right? When God wants to do something, he is able to do it himself. Through other means, we don't need to worry about that. So the king of Israel went to his house, sullen and displeased, and came to Samaria. And so the king, again, he's, he's upset that the prophet has told him not so good news because of his rebellion because of his rebellion. Interesting chapter, isn't it? it it's, it's not like the chapter before where the, you know, the prophets of Baal and the facing off, but we see, uh, we, you know, in all of these things, we see God's character, and then we'll take communion together. Um, I just, I love the Bible. You know, do you fall in love? Have you fallen in love with the Word of God? You know, as, as you read through this, read through it a number of times and put yourself in these different positions, in these different characters, and think about God's perspective uh, on these people. I mean, think about that. Think of how God could have snuffed Ahab out because he was a wicked king, because his wife was really wicked. He had every right to snuff his life out, and yet God extended grace time after time. And then on top of that, to a, uh, a bruised reed, which Israel was at the time, you know, having some semblance of a little bit of faith happening there after the prophets of Baal massacre, God saves them. But now... He's saying you're in trouble, and he condemns Ahab. There's a time and a place, and I'm so glad that God knows that time. And see, that's why we never want to play games with God. We never want to say, God, you're, a, you're all, you know, yes, he is a God of forgiveness, and yes, he's a God of grace, but there is a time, and it's different for every person. He allows this person to get away with this sin for uh, you know, 10, 15, 20, 25 years, and yet... This person, they do it once, and they're, they're dead. He allows them to be snuffed right out. How is that? We don't know what God knows. This person over here, God could have been working in their life for a long time, giving them lots of rope, lots of rope. And we, we've never noticed it. We can't see it with our eyes. But he's, God's been giving them all kinds of opportunities to turn. And then this one opportunity, they blow it. And God allows them, in their folly, to experience death. And yet this other guy, evil, wicked, God gives them all this opportunity. 
And there are kings that, that, that that's happened to, and God has turned their lives around. Think of Nebuchadnezzar. You can read Daniel chapter 4 and see how God used this evil, wicked man, and yet he would still not give up on Nebuchadnezzar. And I believe Nebuchadnezzar is in heaven. Such a wonderful thing, the grace of God, isn't it? Father, we just, Lord, as we take uh, communion, Lord, we're mindful of the body and the bread, or, or the blood and your body that was spilled, that was given on our behalf, Lord, that night. As the disciples and you, Lord, were just celebrating another Passover, and yet this one would have the greatest significance, Lord. Because the, the, the bread that was broken, Lord, was your body for us. And Lord, we thank you, Lord, that you bore the punishment in your body, in your physical body, and in your spiritual, spiritually you paid the price, the, the thing that nobody could see. Lord, you did as well, and Lord, that was perhaps the most significant of all. But Lord, you said to, as often as we gather like this, we take these elements in, in remembrance of your death. We remember your death on the cross until you come and return for us, Lord. We do this in remembrance of you and celebrating your death until you come. And so, Lord, have your way, and we take this bread in remembrance of you, Jesus. Let's partake. And Lord, as you, Lord, you took the wine and you passed it around to each of your disciples. And Lord, you said this is the blood of the new covenant. The blood of the new covenant that hadn't even been secured physically. But Lord, in your heart of hearts, you knew it was a done deal in your heart already. It had already been planned from the foundation of the earth. The lamb slain before the foundation of the earth. And so Lord, you knew what the next several hours would entail. And Lord, you could give the testament you could give your blood and say, this is the blood of the new covenant. For certainly you would shed that blood, much blood on the cross for us. And so, Lord, we take this in remembrance of you, Jesus. Let's partake of the cup. Well, Lord, we just thank you for this night. And, Lord, I pray that you'd bless your servants tonight. Lord, I know many of them here tonight have had a long day. And Lord, thank you that, Lord, you give us rest. Thank you, Lord, that we work hard. And Lord, you say, now take your rest. You've had a long day. And Lord, you give that rest to us. You know we need it. And Lord, we're certainly mindful, Lord, of the rest that we can take. Because we no longer have to work out, Lord, to work something and, and, and try to improve ourself to such an extent that we can somehow be made right with you, Lord. There's nothing we could do. There's nothing we can add. But, Lord, simply believe on what we've just done, Lord, to believe on the blood of Christ. That was sufficient enough to take away all of our sin, Lord. We can't add anything to it. We certainly can't subtract anything from it. We simply take it by faith, and we rest in that, Lord, knowing that we can rest from our labors, and trying to make ourselves right, Lord. We've been made right by the blood of Christ. It's that simple.
So give us rest tonight, Lord. Give us that spiritual rest and give us that physical rest, Lord. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of 1 Kings. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m., Monday through Friday, at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office you can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.